You're listening to Phanalysis, a science fiction and fantasy podcast. My name is Chris. I'm Dawson. And this is a catch-all podcast for the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. And over the course of the series, we're going to be talking about various television shows mostly. And this episode, we're covering The 100, episode 308, titled Terms and Conditions. As always, spoiler warnings do apply. Everything up through this episode is fair game. But nothing after this episode. So what were your overall thoughts on the episode, Dawson? Overall thoughts on the episode, to me, it was a very weird episode for a mid-season break. <laughs> it really was. It was a bot. It was another bottle episode, which was weird to have two in a row right before your hiatus. Yeah, I kept thinking like it seems weird that they have them each so contained the episode before this and this one. And part of me was spending the whole time thinking, you know, couldn't there have been a way where they could have intercut some of the stuff and maybe spread out some of the events? But then it's kind of like, well, given the sequence of events, I guess they probably couldn't really, since the whole object of the episode before this, I mean, they could have adjusted some of the writing, perhaps, to accommodate it. But the whole premise being that they were setting up a blockade soon, and then this episode is about the blockade happening. Sure. I mean, I think that the obvious the obvious answer would have been to bring Octavia and Indra to Arcadia <laughs> either at the beginning of this episode or like i don't know <laughs> um, i mean i actually distinctly remembered thinking when i watched the preview for this episode that that's what was going to happen that we would just sort of like follow Octavia and Indra right that was my assumption as well yeah cuz that would have made sense logistically yeah i agree and i think it would have it would have connected the two the distinct separation between the two storylines feels very artificial right because they so obviously mm -hmm. connect to one another and impact one another that octavia would have been the obvious thread to connect those things right and that didn't happen which was a bit odd i felt like i guess we'll have to wait for next episode yeah which I am looking forward to Indra and Octavia rolling I'm into town. I'm always looking forward to anything Indra and Octavia. <laughs> very true, very true. Good point. I love point. them. Um, so yeah, it didn't feel like a mid-season finale to me at all. Right. It, it felt very much like a, a bridge episode, what I like to call a bridge episode, where there's not anything necessarily huge or shocking in and of itself in the episode. I mean, a mid-season finale, usually there's some sort of cliffhanger-y type thing. Right. And right. Th I mean, there was to some extent, but it, it felt less urgent than they often do. Well, it took us exactly where we thought we were going to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So like, there was no sort of cliffhanger that there was no shocking cliffhanger. We were all just like, okay, so we like we knew that was where we were going with the storyline. So there was nothing surprising about I don't know. It definitely didn't have the impact I would expect for, for a mid-season finale. Well, because that happened in the episode before this. Yes. So then part of me is like, maybe I'm glad that there wasn't that big moment in this episode because I needed a break. <laughs> I do remember hearing in an interview with Jason, I think, him saying something like, this, is an, this episode is an intentional break from everything that happened in Polis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just felt very strange as a mid-season finale to me. 
Right. It was more like 307 was the mid-season finale, and 308 was like the epilogue to the mid-season finale. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair. (laughs) The epilogue that barely followed what happened (laughs) in the chapter before. Yeah, it's very, very meanwhile in Arcadia. (laughs) (laughs) It is, you're right. That said, it's not that there wasn't anything significant that happened in the episode, because we did get some big moments, some people choosing sides or perhaps reconsidering the sides they'd chosen. Yeah. Which I was glad to see. Weren't we all? (laughs) Oh, man. The, The parallels set up to episode 208, Spacewalker were pretty enjoyable, I think, um, to sort of, I think that it was, there was an effort to kind of drive home why, particularly Bellamy, I think, why he feels the way he feels about things and is kind of going the direction he's going, that this mm-hmm. is not the first time that they have faced an angry grounder army. But at the same time, I kept thinking, hey, Bellamy, Remember how that whole thing got resolved? Because it did actually get resolved. Yeah. Granted, it wasn't in the ideal or the most ideal way, but, you know, realistically, that was never going to happen anyway. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there's a there's some... <laughs> there are definitely s- some pieces in this episode where, where we watch what happens when, when you rewrite history, which is a really common way for anyone espousing their own views to to um paint things in a certain light there was the the pike cane showdown one of several i guess (laughs) one of the first ones in the episode where pike's pike sort of accuses cane of having given finn up which we all know is not what happened that's not what happened finn gave himself up so there's an interesting kind of kind of twisting of story that happens i think as we as we carry on and live out our anger it's it's Interesting commentary. Right. And of course, I mean, the whole thing with Finn, too, because I remember at the beginning of this season, there were a lot of comments about Bellamy kind of going through the same thing that Finn went through last Mm -hmm. season. And, you know, how it was and was not like that situation. And, and yeah, the fact that Finn paid the price for it, essentially, and willingly. And so what does that mean for this season? And that sort of thing. I don't think we're going to lose Bellamy. You never know, because it's the hundred. That would be very surprising to me if it happened. <laughs> me too. Most likely, I think Pike is not long for this earth. I have to agree. There's no point at which any of his storyline has set up the idea of his continued survival. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you don't get to be that merciless and ruthless and not end up dead at some point in the season. (laughs) It's true. The ruthless people and the pacifists are the two that fare the worst on this show. It's very true. So moral of the story is stick to the middle ground, folks, if you're going to be on the hundred. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I do think there was some really, some really lovely parallels. There was a lot of side choosing. There was a lot of, there were a lot of callbacks to other parts of the series in this in this episode, which we can talk about as we go through a little more. But uh, yeah, it felt it felt a little bit like a retrospective, kind of looking back at where these characters are now and where they've come from. Very true. Let's talk about the various characters' storylines, because we actually got 
a fair amount of Harper and Miller and Monty this episode, and it seems like it's been a while since we've seen much of them. Yeah, I feel like we haven't seen that much of them since Mount Weather. It's true. They sort of pop up now and then for a, a scene or two, but they actually had a bit of a storyline this episode. Yeah, which was really exciting. Agreed. And we finally got to see more of why Monty was siding with Pike's team, because I think everybody I've talked to about it has just been like, what What are you doing, Monty? <laughs> <laughs> Not Monty, <laughs> etc. Not Monty. Monty and, and Jackson were the two where people were sort of like, what? <laughs> in, in kind of outrage. <laughs> but they're precious cinnamon rolls, too good for this world, you know, that kind of thing. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it was good to see. It's good to see some of his motivations. It's always interesting to see that all of kind of our people who side with with Pike have hesitations about what is happening. There is I was so relieved in that scene because I don't think we'd ever seen Monty and Pike directly interacting, not that I remember anyway. So to see Pike giving instructions to Monty and Monty just sort of looking deeply uncomfortable with it. I, I was greatly relieved. Yeah, and I think that's that's an interesting uh that's an interesting sort of thing to delve into in a story like this because I think that sense of misgiving when we are being asked to do things in a certain way or to do certain types of things, I think that sense of misgiving is one that, you know, it's sort of your gut level reaction. And we overlook it for a wide variety of reasons. We all have our reasons that we might do that. So that's an interesting thing to explore in all of these characters and to see why they why they go the way they go. What actually struck me as kind of interesting about it, the more I thought about it, was that I think we see that same look on Monty's face when they're in Mount Weather, when he and Clark and Bellamy are in the control room. And Clark tells him oh, yeah. to figure out how to get the vents open and and all that sort of thing monty just looks so uncomfortable with it but but he does it but he does it yeah it's really true i think interestingly in terms of you know the harper miller monty storylines is that miller and harper also have misgivings about how kane is approaching this sort of internal battle between their their groups right harper and miller kind of push for more aggressive action so it's it's interesting to see, to me at least, it's always interesting to see how we sort of chafe at the decisions our leaders make and, and whether or not we, that question I think exists for everyone, is where is that line? Where does it happen for you that you can't do that anymore? Mm -hmm. And of course, what's interesting in this episode too, is we get more screen time of Miller and his boyfriend, Brian. Mm. And the interesting dynamic there, since Brian has sided with Pike... Presumably because of being, you know, farm station and that solidarity, I guess. And and I mean, it makes sense to me. Pike essentially kept them alive. So, sure. like, I, I get it. Okay. But yeah, it just, it's, oh, that storyline was kind of heartbreaking. That storyline was incredibly heartbreaking. <laughs> it's the, the war that tears families apart, right? That sort of, that sort of civil war that turns people who who love each other against one another and it's it's very hard to watch it's incredibly heartbreaking but also really good tv <laughs> and then of course we get the scene of brian and his misgivings mm -hmm. this entire show but especially this season 
there have been a lot of questions about how far will you go? How how far mm-hmm. is too far? I mean, that's the theme of the series, really. Yeah. How far will you go to survive? And that's something that they keep bringing back. They keep bringing up the stakes. And I get why they do it, because actually it fades into the background a lot. But they keep bringing up the stakes, right? That this is about survival, you know? If, if, if they are blockaded in for an extended period of time, they're going to run out of food, right? It's not just an inconvenience. <laughs> so it's and of a, course now their water supply is poisoned too, so. Right. Yeah. So it's a interesting sort of it gets very much at the heart of who we are as humans. What what would you do to survive? Who who would you betray? How far would you go? How many people would you kill to survive and to keep your people alive? I'm with Kane. Team Kane all the way. Same. Same. We're we're not gonna have we're not gonna get to have a lively debate because I'm so Team Kane hardcore. <laughs> Who isn't though? I'm I'm genuinely curious about this. Is anybody Team Pike? It's a good question. Hey, people out there who are listening to this podcast, I've just antagonized them all. <laughs> we are sorry if we antagonized you, but also write to us and tell us you're Team Pike because we want to. I want to. I won't speak for Chris. I want to understand. <laughs> like if you're Team Pike, I want to hear your your reasoning. I will say I can see I see Pike's angle. I know a lot of people have said that it's completely incomprehensible, and it's not. If you no, I I get it. I just think he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just the wrong approach to take. Agreed. But I, you know, I see the angle. The angle that you watched your children slaughtered by these people, and you do not trust them, and you're going to take everything they have because they took everything you had. I mean, I cannot. You know, it's it's being able to see through the different angles is a part of what the show is about, and. I see Pike's angle. I just think he's wrong. <laughs> Should I move on to talking about Raven and Jasper? Yes. How about Raven in this episode, huh? I love it. <sighs> I love Raven, though, just okay, generally. Point. Raven in any episode. <laughs> but then she, you know, she she drank the Kool-Aid, and I was worried. I wasn't. You know why? Because of exactly what happened in this episode, because it's Raven... <laughs> She's just too stubborn and strong-willed to let it hold her down, right? Raven Reyes, man. she If anyone was going to take out Allie's control, it was going to be Raven. Sorry, I'm a big Raven fan. I, we all, I, Hopefully we all are, right? That's... <laughs> I, I haven't heard from anybody who isn't. Me neither. Once again, if you're not a Raven fan, <laughs> let us know with your reasons. We would like to understand. But she's such a, she's like an intellectual badass. <laughs> she is. She is. I had chills from the scene where she realizes she can't remember Finn. It's so heartbreaking. I Kudos to Lindsay Morgan. Man, that was, <laughs> literally gave me chills. Nice. The slow progression of, of that dawning realization was pretty spectacular. What do we think sets Raven apart? Is it just her badass intellectualness that <laughs> allows her to overcome Allie's temptation, control, whatever it is? I don't know. I wonder if it's... I, I could be wrong about this. I mean, I, I don't have enough information, but since we know that the whole thing, Allie specifically says her programming is based on consent and willingness or something like that, right? Very true, very true. So we know Raven's very specific reasons for taking the chip. 
because she's hurt her leg and she's tired of hurting. But she's tired of physically hurting. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think she's necessarily outside of that in an emotional headspace that that kind of forgetting is is appealing to her necessarily. Really? I don't know. Throwing it out there. I would think that's fair. That's a fair, that's a fair assessment. I just don't, I don't know if I, like, I feel. I mean, she could be. I mean, we know that she's been through some stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And when I say some, I mean a lot. Raven has been through a lot of stuff, (laughs) but she's always been very strong about it. You know what I mean? She's always taken it and, and carried it with her. And, you know, she's, she's dealt with it, I guess. She is a strong person, that raven. Yes. So, I don't know. To me, the emotional burden is not necessarily such that she'd wish it gone. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just, I'm theorizing here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I could see her, well, I mean, like, as the moment reveals, right? I could see her maybe wanting the pain gone, but certainly not wanting the rest of it gone. And that's the the obvious issue, right, with with Allie is that Allie doesn't just take apart take away the parts that are painful. She takes all of it, which is an interesting development. Weren't we talking about how, you know, the implications of the chip and everything, you know, what the implications would be regarding identity and and that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Were we having that conversation? Who was I talking to? (laughs) I think we were. Okay. I think we were last episode. And so I think that's maybe what we're seeing here too, is Raven likes herself. Raven likes who she is. Yeah. At least that's the sense that I get. So yeah. yeah, no interest in becoming someone else. If there's some sense that some of that is slipping away, I could see why Raven would fight it. Yeah. Well, and I think Raven is the kind of person who... I I I tweeted when Jaha first started talking to Raven about the City of Light. And Raven came back at him about pain and, and taking away pain. I tweeted that one of the interesting things about Raven is she is essentially an expert on pain Mm, mm -hmm. in a wide variety of ways. And all the way back from, you know, clearly a not good childhood with her mother up through losing Finn, you know, through through all the struggle and heartbreak, getting shot, (laughs) being in immense physical pain, sort of bearing the weight of all of that. She's kind of an expert in pain. And I think that a part of what makes her different from other people is that usually the way you learn to cope, I think usually the way you learn to cope with that kind of pain in your life is that you learn how to take the good out of it, right? You learn to to see the good things and hold on to those things. Right. And so I think that kind of goes against the grain of who Raven is because she is someone so acquainted with pain that losing the good things is to her a massive issue. That makes sense to me. Man. Raven Reyes is a super interesting character. <laughs> she is. I would watch the Raven Reyes show. Yeah, me too. Funny enough, I love Raven and Jasper together. Yeah, it was kind of surprising. <laughs> I know. I was surprised by that. I was like, they, they're like a comedy duo almost. <laughs> well, because Jasper has been, quite frankly, a disaster this season. It's true. Very true. And so it was interesting to me in the first place that the whole premise is kind of like, hey, that guy's a disaster. Let's use him. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also kind of, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, watching them together sort of break into 
Pike's office. And I I don't even know what Jasper was doing while Raven was working. Being Jasper. Yeah. Searching for things, asking questions, which led to Raven's breakdown. So good job, Jasper. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it was interesting for Jasper, I think, in particular, to be the catalyst of that. Someone who kind of has been seeking the City of Light to have questions that lead Raven to her conclusion and kind of snap her out of things it is really, really interesting. Because, yeah, I feel like Jasper, if Jasper had taken the chip, he wouldn't have snapped out of it the way Raven did. No, he doesn't seem like that kind of person. Of course, I think we have enough evidence of that by the fact that he's basically just become alcoholic. Very true. He has all the hallmarks of someone who would just want to escape his pain. Yep. <laughs> no matter the cost. So kind of jumping off of the Raven and Alley and the City of Light and Jasper, there's the the Ali Jaha creepiness continues <laughs> in this episode. Because uh, again, there's that whole the comment about consent and free will. And then Jaha's like, well, if you can't get around that, maybe I can, which is just the grossest thing I think I've ever heard on this show. It's top five. Yeah, that was, that was pretty terrifying. Well, and there there's that, you kind of go like, Jaha, what are you thinking, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it definitely seems like Ali tampers with people in a very particular way and and not necessarily just you know with the removal of pain so that's an interesting thing to think about is how far you know who has she turned him into i suppose is the question you know i say that but then as i was saying it i remembered vividly that jaha was the chancellor on the ark and that consent and free will are not exactly like super high on the list of things that were advocated on the ark where they floated people for very minor offenses and things like that. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I do wonder, though, what exactly it is Allie does, as you were saying, what she does to people, because we've seen that she blocks pain to the extent that people forget people who are important to them, and even the good memories about those people. So I'm just concerned, like, is, is Allie essentially detaching people from their attachments? kind of seems like it which leads beautifully into the next point which is i don't know if anyone else noticed this but there is a moment where jaha is talking to ali and he says the more mind we need uh, or he's talking to raven sorry and he's telling her they need more people in the city of light because the more minds turn to the task the more powerful they are is a really interesting little tidbit to put out there that there's, I think several people have asked myself included, what is the motivation for Allie to get people into the city of light? Mm -hmm. If she is using their brains as programming power, as, as compute power, that would be a real good reason. <laughs> so that's a really interesting, that's an interesting motivating factor to see. And then the question you were asking, Chris was, you know, what, how does she reprogram people? And I wonder how much of it is related to like detaching them from anything that might distract them from what she needs, you know? Oh, I'm sure that's some of it. Yeah. Which comes out a little bit when she's talking to Raven and Raven is kind of having her moment where she's realizing she doesn't remember Finn. And Allie says, we don't have time for this, Raven. At least I think that's what she says. Or that's not important right now or something like that, which is a really interesting sort of... And in direct counterpoint to the commander's, you were right, Clark, 
we deserve more than just survival. Life is about more than just surviving. Life is about more than survival. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, there's some good, fun, interesting thematic threads. I'm excited to see where all that goes. <laughs> so let's move on to Pike and Kane then, or or Pike versus Kane, which is really the tentpole of the episode, I guess. Yeah, it is. And they're, they're sort of these fantastically, fantastically diametrically opposed beings who are actually not that distant from one another. It's sort of like in different stages of of Kane's progression cuz Pike in some ways is kind of like early season 1 Kane. He is, yeah, which is a super interesting thing to watch Kane kind of pitted against himself almost, pitted against an older version of himself. And we got a bit of a bit of that as well in it was a few episodes ago where they plant the bug and Miller kind of laughs and says, "Did you imagine when you were arresting me on the ark?" that we'd be committing a crime together. <laughs> that was a good moment. And Kane kind of gets aggressive with him and is like, this isn't a joke. But uh, it is kind of funny and kind of interesting that Kane is facing his old, his own old demons. Because Kane used to be the law, basically, yes. and now he's the rebel. Yes. And he used to be the law in the exact same sort of brutal and aggressive manner and then he was changed so drastically by the culling of the 300 when he ordered the 300 culled, and it turned out he didn't have to. That fundamentally altered his trajectory, and now he's kind of facing this this old version of himself almost. It's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it is. And then Pike killed 300 people himself and has no remorse. Yes, yes. Absolutely none. He went out of his way to go kill those 300 people. Yes. And not because he thought it was the only way to keep a thousand other people alive, you know. Or maybe I suppose it was, actually, because he felt he was protecting his, his camp. He felt he was protecting Arcadia. So it is. It's almost the exact same sort of storyline, which is really interesting. Kane facing his old demons. I was fascinated by the weird, like, 1984 feel of the of this episode <laughs> lots of mostly i was fascinated by it because we saw a lot of the kane versus pike the sort of resistance versus pike and his authority figures but what we didn't really see much of was the reaction of the rest of the camp which i'm super curious about because sinclair's arrest was really public and so was kane's yeah i'm i've been wondering about that this whole time well especially since pike got elected because it's just kind of like, well, what do the people who aren't directly involved, like, what are they thinking? Yeah. And is there, because we kind of, like, we see, you know, we see Kane's little resistance force. But are there other, like, Sinclair was obviously involved. But are there other people who are kind of in with the resistance who we don't really know about and where, you know. But then what I'm most interested in are the, the people who are not, right? The people who kind of haven't picked a side and this is just, like, this is their government, you know. And how are they feeling about I thought particularly Sinclair, who seems like he is kind of a well-loved figure, being arrested, and everything that happened with that. And then, of course, mm -hmm. Kane. Do you think Pike got elected due to low vote voter turnout? I'm assuming that's what it was. <laughs> There's no other logical explanation. How else does this happen? No, I mean, you know, I say that, but also, I mean, it happens. It's happening <laughs> in in the world. <sighs> That people, when people are afraid, they want someone who will say, we should burn them all to the ground. 
it makes people feel safer. I don't know why, because it doesn't make me feel safer. It just makes me feel like I'll always be at war. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, that's kind of Pike's MO, and I and that can be very appealing when you've been in a really dangerous place for that long and are kind of constantly waiting for the, the other shoe to drop. Right. I mean, like, here's somebody who's promising action is essentially what it is. It's like, yeah, here's here's somebody with a plan, even though it's a terrible plan. But he has a plan. Yep. And and I don't know. I personally was a bit baffled by the whole like Pike wins the election thing, because at the time it seemed like Kane had done a lot of like politically very savvy things. You know, he'd become they'd become the 13th clan. They were under Lexus protection like he'd done a lot of very politically savvy things that in theory you would think would make people go, okay, so we are finally safe, right? We are not at war anymore. We have this alliance. So that I actually have, I've I've always kind of contended that that felt very odd to me. Well, and the fact that we didn't even see it, I think was a bit of a, a problem. Just there was suddenly an announcement that yeah. Pike had won. There was no there was no scene of them having an election. There was basically an announcement that they were going to have an election and then an announcement that Pike had won. Yeah. With really no sort of, I don't, I didn't feel like there was anything convincing enough in any of those episodes that a bunch of people who Kane and Abby had been really kind of shepherding and helping and making, making a lot of progress with would suddenly vote for Pike. I felt like we needed more. You need a general, discussion <laughs> where people right. are talking about it <laughs> maybe the farm station people were were out campaigning, campaigning. Really hard. yeah yeah I, yeah. Don't I don't think like bellamy getting people to chant pike 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 didn't seem like enough for me to destroy what kane and abby had built and they had built a lot right i mean jaha says it when he comes to arcadia he says they've been busy they had built out this entire town they d- managed to get not just an alliance but membership in the coalition there's a lot grabbed of some supplies from Mount Weather. Yeah, grab some, surpri- some supplies from Mount Weather. There's a lot of things there that happen. Well, there was the whole Mount Weather explosion thing that probably didn't go over well. But I know I'm aware, but <laughs> um, but that wasn't their doing. Yeah, very true. Very true. But then you always wonder, like, does everybody know who's doing what? Like, does anybody no. does everybody understand the political happenings here? Which clearly not, but. Yeah, clearly not. Anyway. So, yeah, I've always felt that that was a bit that was a bit odd the whole thing. So, I'm super curious like how are these people feeling now? They're essentially living in a police state where Bellamy and his gang just like jump Sinclair and they don't they just say you're accused of treason. Like they don't ever <laughs> there's no trial. There's no like they just kind of jump him and take him, which makes me wonder like how is how does the rest of the the town feel about that? Cuz I wouldn't be feeling too savvy about that personally. Too scared to say anything maybe at this point. Fair. Super fair point. But then like will new people join the resistance? Will they grow in numbers because They've seen what can happen. I don't know. So just one a, can only hope. To me, an interesting, an interesting thing. So speaking of Bellamy, and speaking of Kane, also, is it just me or when Kane was trying to get out of camp with Pike in the back of the Rover One, and Bellamy jumps in front with a gun trained on him? I'm like, damn it, Kane! Why are you hitting the brake? Hit the accelerator! <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you're saying you would have run Bellamy over. <laughs> Sorry, Bellamy fans. At this point, I would. <laughs> Either that or, you know, maybe he'd, he'd jump in this game of chicken. I don't know, but... Sure. Either way, I'm just kind of like, why? Why stop? Just keep going. Yeah. It is interesting and notable, to me at least, that essentially what Kane decides is that they are going to have to give Pike up, right? That for for the greater good of everyone, Pike has to pay for what he's done, which... It worked in the Finn situation. Which has worked previously, right? However... Kane has this sort of line he can't cross, right? There's he had a hard time crossing the line to say they should do that, right? Like there was there would be no way morally for him to to be okay to have that kind of collateral damage, especially someone like Bellamy who he cares about. I know, Kane's a better person than I am is what it is. <laughs> Kane's a better person than all of us to be honest. At least now, I guess, you know, he's grown into quite quite the leader. Right. Yeah. Which we've been seeing all season and last season even, but Yes. Yeah. Well, Kane's Kane's development has been people talk a lot about Octavia's character arc, which I love, don't get me wrong. I do. It is still one of the best on the show. But I actually think Kane also has a really lovely character arc that he goes through that it's a, you know, it's a long slow process that gets him to where he is now, where peace at all costs is sort of his his current motto, how do we how do we end the violence? How do we stop the wars? Which, you know, long term would be the better solution. Yes. If you're capable of thinking long term. Yeah. And and also like of thinking long term and of being willing to take the compromises while you get there, you know? Right. Cause you are talking about some very serious compromises. Yep. In order to to get where you want to go. I will point out that I think it is interesting that in no instance so far have the Grounders come to destroy Arcadia. Like, I guess Lexa sent her 300 warriors that Clark burned to the dropship. And that's really the only time that we have seen them kind of go and try to wipe out the Sky Crew. The rest of the time, like, they came to get Finn, and they came for Finn in order to serve justice for what he did. The same here, right? They've come for Pike in order to serve justice for what he did. Right. And it's an interesting, that is an interesting juxtaposition against Clark, who burned 300 people. <laughs> and admittedly, they were attacking them. <laughs> um, and even more so, Pike, who goes and slaughters a peacekeeping army, right? That he doesn't go seeking justice, he goes seeking destruction. And that, to me, is a really interesting sort of juxtaposition between these two these two cultures and how they approach things right i think pike is the one seeking destruction clark is willing to go there if she feels like she has to Agreed. but it's, it is never her first impulse clark will go there if backed into a corner pike will right. go there preemptively in order to prevent right a possible outcome very true and of course i think the uh the 300 sent to the dropship, wasn't that in retaliation for them destroying a village? Yes. And then blowing up the bridge? So, I mean, it's yes. a series of events leading up to that, too. So, Yes, definitely. Well, and it's the it's the cycle of violence, right? How, how long do you keep... Who takes the first step to say, yes, you have wronged me. Yes, you have hurt me. Yes, people have died. Let's make peace. Right. Who, Lexa. Who's going to do it? Lexa's the first person to do that. <laughs> yes. Lexa ends up being the first person to do it. Agreed. 
but that's the that's the journey right is is that's the story is how the cycle of violence perpetuates itself yep so let's talk about bellamy because oh misguided bellamy <laughs> but we finally reached a turning point that i think we've all been waiting for all season yes yes he, i think he finally has hit the line he cannot cross thank goodness took you long enough bellamy I will say he I want to let's jump back to the very beginning of the episode where he puts bullets in the grounder messengers. Not cool, dude. Not cool at all. However, really interesting to think about his motivation there, because as he says over and over again, he's seen this before. And I I often wonder how much of Bellamy's bad decision making, because let's face it, Bellamy makes bad decisions. Bellamy's been making bad decisions since the beginning of the show. (laughs) That's how the series starts, is yes. Bellamy <laughs> makes a bad decision. Be- he does yes. it for the right reasons, but yes. it's not a good thing to do, dude. Yes. Yeah. He he does all the wrong things for all the right reasons. And I I think that this is sort of the same idea that when he says, I've seen this before, right, we get these very obvious callbacks to 208, to Spacewalker, that at that time, he didn't, Clark kind of kept him in check because that's what clark does um (laughs) and i think he felt that they should have responded differently i don't i don't think bellamy has ever been really super happy with the approach clark takes to these problems but because of how things played out she sort of ended up in that role of of the real commander of their people and he supported her and did his best to be part of that but i think it weighs on him you know that he i wonder how much he wonders if he had done things differently, if if they could have saved Finn. Mm-hmm. And if that's what he's hearing in his head when he kills those grounders. I don't know. But that's my take on... I'm always searching for why do people do the things they do, even the horrendous things they do. And right. that is the thing I can think of that would be in Bellamy's head when he does it. I've been thinking about it a lot this season, and I've basically realized that essentially Clark has been replaced by Pike. Yes. Because Bellamy has always been sort of the the lieutenant to somebody else. Yes. And with Clark not there, here comes Pike with similarly strong assertions about what should be done. So I think Bellamy just kind of automatically fell in line there and <sighs> things are, are not going great with that. There's this great line Octavia has in Hakodama where she says, um, what would you know, Clark? You haven't been there. And I think that was an incredibly powerful statement about the hole that Clark left Mm -hmm. and how things have kind of derailed as a part of not, you know, not that it's Clark's fault, but as a part of her absence, that hole that she left did a lot of damage, I think. And, And a part of that damage is Pike stepped into that space in Bellamy's life. And now, you know, Bellamy kind of is where he is. Right. Well, I mean, from the beginning of the series, we saw that Clark was really the one trying to keep everything together. Yeah. Clark did keep everything together. And so I can see how Clark is thinking, okay, the the adults are here. <laughs> People who are actually in charge, supposedly. And thinking, okay, it's okay for me to walk off into the woods <laughs> and go go heal myself. It's not but, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, 
Because it did. It did leave a, a hole for the others who have been depending on her since they got there. So, yeah. And I, that to me at least, maybe not to other people, to me, that's a totally fascinating commentary on our sort of real world existence where the truth of the matter is without young perspectives, you know, as someone who is an adult, adults often make really junky decisions based on their historical experiences with things. <laughs> so I think that's a really interesting commentary sort of on the the importance of the role of of young people of conviction like Clark Ray who who advocate for peace and are are really working toward making the world better. This is my regular reminder to everybody to go vote in your primaries when they happen near you. Do it for Clark, y'all. <laughs> You know who we didn't talk about? We didn't talk about Lincoln. Oh. We get to see him again. Finally, briefly. My man Lincoln. Poor imprisoned Lincoln. No. Not cool, Pike. Way not cool. I'm going to point out, as I point out about Lincoln on a regular basis, I'm constantly fascinated by how intense and savagely dangerous he can be. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, because he is so contained all the time. And he kind of is, you know, you get that sense of Lincoln. I don't know, maybe other people don't. I do get that sense that he he has a really good heart. Mm -hmm. And he has no desire to be, you know, he says at one point, people have been trying to make me a monster all my life. And he can wreck people physically, man, the fight scenes with Lincoln are insane. He's a trained warrior. He is. And my thing is that it's so easy to forget that because he works so hard toward peace. So it's sort of fascinating to watch him every time I see him kind of come out swinging. It's really interesting to be reminded that he is this incredibly skilled warrior who could destroy you, but chooses peace instead. And I think that also is a powerful message and an interesting one. He's like Superman or Supergirl. Exactly. Someone draw fan art of Lincoln with a big S on his chest, please. That would be awesome. And then tweet it to Ricky Whittle, because I bet he would enjoy that. <laughs> Actually, from, from visiting Ricky Whittle's Twitter page, he'd probably retweet it. Indeed. He enjoys he enjoys the fan art you guys make, which is awesome, because you guys make awesome fan art. Any random thoughts, Dawson? Not really. Even as we're talking about this episode, I'm really struggling to like find things that were super interesting about it uh, not to say that thing like things happened but it i don't think it super intensely moved the storyline forward of the wider world uh it, i guess it kind of set up a lot of stuff so it, it set up bellamy's potential redemption it set up it set up kane being in danger and sort of it set the stage for hopefully for indra and octavia to come sweeping in to save the day but i think overall the episode itself was kind of uh, not a ton actually happened. Yeah, it was mostly a, a setup episode, and you know, with Raven overthrowing Allie in her brain, and yeah, that too set all that up. Yeah, yeah, lots of setup, but yeah, I, I guess they're gonna set it up and then make us wait for two weeks. Clearly, which we will. We will wait for two weeks. We really will. <laughs> we will probably talk it all to death by the time the next episode airs. But we'll be ready for the next episode, though. Yes. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm still like, I think it was Javi who said in one of his interviews, he was like, whatever these first 
you know, seven or eight episodes set you up with, just be ready for it all to be blown away in the second half of the season. I'm just like, really? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why you got to be like that? <laughs> That's so nerve wracking. <laughs> I can't deal with it. I'm still, I'm still grieving. Yeah, seriously. So there are some of our thoughts, most of our thoughts, perhaps, <laughs> on episode 308, Terms and Conditions. If you have thoughts about any of this stuff that you'd like to share with us, you can send us an email at feedback at askgenretv.com. We're also on Twitter at askgenretv. You can find this and our other episodes for this podcast and our other podcasts over at askgenretv.com. And thank you for listening. Go Team Kane. Team Kane all the way. Team Kane all the way.